Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can find me at Scavendish on Twitter. We've got a really fun show today. Obviously, our guest will be Steve Gorman and really Steve Cavendish. The most interesting man in all of sports in Nashville, Tennessee might actually be a musician. Steve Gorman has done basically everything at this point in his career, it seems like. You know, Gorman was, uh, of course, he was with the Black Crows. He wrote a book about it. It came out last year detailing sort of like the the birth and death of the Black Crows. There's some great stuff out of it, including, you know, the fights that led to the end, which is kind of all the juicy stuff. There's a there's a big thing in there about getting into a pissing match with Liam Gallagher of Oasis at Glastonbury in 2005. Highly recommend the book. As, as one does. As one does. But Gorman's always been a sports fan. He's a very, he's a very well-spoken sports fan. Uh, had a had a show on local radio here, then went for four years to Fox Sports Radio, kind of the mothership, and did Steve Gorman Sports there. Really, really interesting guy, and 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 just just a, just a really fun kind of hang. Yep, radio host, musician, author, storyteller, has done basically everything, and uh, can't wait to to have a conversation with him. So we'll we'll tell you a little bit about what that conversation will entail as it pertains to media in just a few minutes, but. First, we've got to get to our experiences last weekend. However, Steve, what should people do before we talk about how we gambled last weekend? They should rate, they should review, and if so inclined, they should smash the subscribe button. I, I think that is a fair ask of people who are listening to the show. Absolutely. If, if you like it, do those things. That, uh, of course, helps the, the show out and, and share it with all your friends. Tell everybody about it. Also, ratings and recs, of course, coming up after our conversation uh, with Steve Gorman, but how did you how'd you do, man? You gambled. I ga- I gambled. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I I logged in, got my account, gambled as well. How did yours go? Uh, so barely tipping my uh, dipping my toes into the gambling waters. I did something very very unique. I just did a I just did a three team parlay. I put ten bucks down. Would have won thirty three bucks, except I managed to lose every single game in the parlay. <laughs> I took really. Uh, I, I yeah. It was, are we naming names here on the show this week? Are we gonna Are we gonna tell exclusively who we who we gambled with? Um, sure. I, I mean, I, we went we went with different shops to try to yeah explain the experiences a little. So bit. I went to Fanduel. Uh, a, a buddy of mine uh, in New York uh, has 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 used it for a while and re- and been really been really pleased with it. So I went with his recommendation. It's it's a great interface. It was really easy to use. Uh, you know. I used to PayPal to give them fifty bucks. Then I got fifty bucks for for joining. So, you know, I'm 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 still up on this thing, uh, but <laughs> but but it was rough. I I had uh, I went with the other one. I went with DraftKings and a couple of observations. Number one, their app, their DraftKings app, is actually sep their their book sports book is separate from the Daily Fantasy app, which I didn't necessarily know going into it. I thought I could do some Daily Fantasy and some some lines and some actual bets, and it turns out that you need two apps, and I just said, no, I'm not going to do two apps. That was my barrier to entry was the second <laughs> app. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, they also threw out a Titans score a touchdown for plus 100 like on Sunday morning, and I just said, okay, I'll take that. That's yeah, that's, that's, Fan, that's had free a, money. So. FanDuel had a thing, you know, it, you know, if the Titans score more than three points, you know, win 50 bucks. Basically what happened on both of them, I took that one. Put the max down. Took my took my fifty dollars, so I won that. I lost the Titans minus six. I lost the Green Bay Packers minus six. Uh, I won a Derrick Henry prop bet uh, over hundred yards rushing, ninety nine and a half. 
didn't win any money. Like, I won like nine dollars, <laughs> but but so I won that bet. That one was fun. But for a while there, I was kind of going. This is just not as fun. This it's too. You know what it is? It's too much stress for me. I have too much stress in my life. It was too stressful. So so my my brother in law and I were talking about this uh, because he was like he was like, hey, I'm you know, I'm really interested in non Titans games now for the first time in a for the first time in a while. The prop, I mean, the the parlay that I had was. I, I put three money lines together uh, in order to kind of get some get some decent return on it. So I put so I did the Titans uh, and the Titans were given three. <laughs> you know, first of all, don't bet the Titans because yeah, you know, yeah. don't bet what, don't bet what you're close to. And then I took your Packers. Yikes! I think uh, a lot of people lost on the Packers this week. Well, weekend. and 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 what I was looking for on that was I was looking for something. Okay, I need a gimme. I need. I think the line on that was you know minus six, and then I needed something that looked like a reasonable upset uh you know what was the what what's the reasonable upset that's out there that will put add value to the parlay so of course i took the lions at home because i was looking for a i was looking for a home underdog (laughs) home underdogs traditionally perform very well yeah like cincinnati yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh so that went south in a hurry uh and so you know, I, I got wiped out on that bet. But, you know, it was a bet. It was 10 bucks. Yeah. I will say that it was, I, it was entertainment. I, I signed up ahead of time on DraftKings because they offered $50. If you registered before it went live on Sunday, I did that and it never it never happened. They, they sent me an email saying, just wait till Sunday morning. It'll populate and you'll get the money will be added to your account. It never happened. So, you know, maybe I need to, to grease the wheels a little bit more on that. But it, it, that's the kind of thing that didn't happen. It should have happened, probably. I bet it shows up this week. It, it, it might. And maybe I did something wrong. It certainly could be user error as a first-time gambler who's very cautious with all of this stuff, um, as I am. But, again, I wanted to, I put $5 down on Derrick Henry to get over 100 yards. Got that one. $20 on the Titans. Lost that one. $10 on the Packers. Lost that one. But made my 50 bucks on the gimme bet, which is how they do it. They give you a free one to keep you coming back next weekend. So now I've got money to bet next weekend. I'll keep you posted. Ah, uh, you're hooked. You're hooked. You're in. Yep, that's how they get you. So that was a, a, a quick recap of our gambling experience. Steve, on the show today, we're going to talk to one of the most interesting people in the world. And here's what we want to accomplish today, which is to let a far more interesting person, Steve Gorman, do all of our work for us. Steve? <laughs> that's a pretty easy goal. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Because Steve Gorman, pretty fucking entertaining. So Gorman, Gorman's entertaining and, and interesting for a lot of different reasons. He's really smart. He has seen a lot of the world, uh, and that kind of comes through. Uh, if, if you read any of his uh, memoir about the Black Crows and kind of like you can you can see some of you can see some of that in there. But it, it just kind of comes through with sort of his lived experience. The thing about Gorman is you get the sense you can ha- have a conversation with him j- about just anything. I, I would love to you know spend a couple hours at the bar with him and just kind of. Go, go running through the gamut of topics. He could talk anything. And I, I will say from a personal experience, obviously I've never played in a world-famous rock and roll band, but I, I do share a lot of the things that he feels and has experienced in the sports media world as a radio host. I, I feel very strongly about a lot of the things that he is going to talk about in this interview. and it, you know Whatever it may be, there's a lot of big forces at play in the sports talk radio world, and I think he's experienced them, and I want you guys to hear him explain it because he's a more interesting person than me. But I, but I do... I do relate very strongly to some of the things that he feels about the business and some of the problems that are around the sports media business. Yeah. One of the things that's going to come through in this conversation with Gorman, too, is sort of his frustration with a lot of what's going on in sports media. Uh, you know, he did this show on Fox Sports 
uh, radio. It's a big national show. He did a really good job with it. But but there were there were limits to what he thought he could accomplish, and he kind of got done with it. And as someone in, in media who's always wanting to hear more diverse voices and, and, and more sort of interesting voices out there, I, I think that's kind of a that, that's a bad sign when when you can wash someone out like Gorman out of radio because he doesn't necessarily fit your format. Yep, no question about it. I think it is a problem. It's something that we're going to talk a lot about on this show. We have talked a lot about on this show. And now Steve Gorman will talk a lot about on the show. And frankly, let's let him do all the work because he's far more interesting than either of us. Shut up. (laughs) Exactly. So he's going to talk about the sort of unexpected nature of his transition from worldwide rock band into the sports media, why he left the sports media because of what you're talking about, Steve, sort of the confining effects of the business and frankly, how he consumes media and where the future of the media is headed. So without further ado, the great Steve Gorman. Well, Steve, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. You certainly have had a fascinating career and can't wait to to get into all the different angles. But I'd like you to tell everybody first, before we tell any of the juicy stories that you've got to tell, uh, sort of your upbringing and your passion for sports, it, it certainly must have been there from a young age. Can you take everybody through how you fell in love with sports, what you followed, what you cared about, and maybe why that became a part of your life later on in your career? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the youngest of eight kids. Um, and so I have seven older siblings. Five of them happen to be brothers. So I grew up in an intensely competitive household. I don't remember uh, they're not being sports on the TV. I don't remember not shooting hoops in the driveway. I don't remember um, not playing baseball in the backyard, soccer in the backyard. I, I grew up just south of Baltimore, so we were playing lacrosse in the backyard, um, football. Sticks you know, with I, that many brothers doesn't seem like a good idea. It, it's, it's a horrible idea. Take my <laughs> word for that. And my, my father had worked uh, for Brunswick, the bowling uh, equipment company. So we actually had bowling lockers in our garage, every kid at his own locker. And so every, you know, there, there were six lockers filled with athletic equipment. Um, and it was just a matter of, you know, you'd walk out, you'd walk into the garage and whatever you grabbed first, that's what you were going to play that day. So yeah, it was just a, it was just a part of life. I had, I, my brain was always split down the middle. I was either listening to records or outside playing some sort of sport or watching it on TV. Sports and music were were always, for as long as I can remember, the only two things I really ever spend any time thinking about. When you transitioned, I'd love to, because obviously this is a sports media show, but I'd love to know, you know, you sort of were the coach or the player, for lack of a better word, when you were in a band that was hugely popular and famous. So you sort of saw it from the, the perspective of what, the way the coach or the player interacts with the media. When you transitioned and, and became part of the evil empire, what shocked you about moving into the media world that maybe you didn't expect to have to deal with or understand? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, there was, well, there was so many things. I mean, the one thing I, I, you know, I knew I was jumping in uh, to something. Well, I'll put it this way. When I was doing a local show, not much surprised me because I understood local radio a little bit better. When Fox Sports Radio picked me up, I knew I was jumping in way over my head in a lot of in a lot of realms. I'm a big believer that if you're not in over your head, you don't know how tall you are. You know, it's an old cliche that makes perfect sense. So I wasn't intimidated by it, but I also didn't expect 
um, I, I, you know, I knew there would probably be some blowback and there was initially people saying like, why does this guy have a show? Who the hell hired a drummer in a rock band to talk sports? Um, people that didn't know I'd already been doing it in, in Nashville for a few years, but, but I also understood that I was going into a world that I really knew nothing about. And, and I, you know, not just the guy on the mic. I, I always said, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm a fan and I really enjoy I'm talking about sports half the time anyway. I might as well do it for a living. You know what I mean? It was really, I approached it from that angle. As far as things that surprised me within the sports talk world, I say this and people think it's a joke, but it's not. I thought I was getting out of rock music to, to, to uh, remove the large egos from my immediate presence. And I found <laughs> that that was not the case at all. I was like, Oh, oh, I'm now in a world where people are for where a lot of these guys just love the sound of their voice more than I've ever imagined possible. So um, that was, you know, but luckily I did have some experience with with outsized egos. So, um, you know, I, I adapted and I didn't have to do much uh, you know, interacting anyway. I, I thought there would be much more of a team vibe. I thought if you're on a network, then all the shows would be you know, hey, we're all on this place together. And that was not the case at all. I thought it's just a whole bunch of ships floating along. We were all in the same ocean, but we were hardly all waving the same flag. But, but you know, I really just, I, I, I never, I, I was always surprised when I got that, when I got the opportunity to go to Fox Sports Radio. Um, I was thrilled with it. The guy that originally hired me there, Bruce Gilbert, you know, he, he wanted the show to be as far out as we could get it. I mean, his only notes were, make me rein you in, <laughs> you know, like go in as many directions and get as weird as you want. Um, and unfortunately for, for that show, he was only with us for the first year. Uh, the guys that came in to replace him, we got along with just fine, but I don't think they quite had the same view on what they wanted one of their afternoon shows to sound like, but it was, it was, to me, it was always just supposed to be a lot of fun, you know? And I mean, long story short, I had a whole lot of fun doing it and it seemed like it came to its conclusion in a very natural, it made perfect sense to me to pull the plug when we did. The truth is I, I was kind of done. I, I, I got into it and, and did well enough to realize I don't want to watch nine hours of sports a day. I don't want to research the stats. I, I, I felt like I, I could feel my enthusiasm waning a little bit um, from keeping up with all the ins and outs as, as were once required. So it was a really nice run, but it's not something that I, I think I sit around and, and necessarily miss. The day-to-day -day grind is a very real thing. Steve, when you crossed over from being the subject of media to, to asking questions and, and talking to folks about sports full-time, is there anything that, that you said, you know, I, I really don't want to do this, or I don't want to, when people were questioning me, this was always a dumb question, or this was always a, this is something I, didn't, I never wanted to get into. Did you have those sorts of things in mind from your experience being an object of media or, or did, were you coming to this in a completely different way? No, I, I had some of that in mind. I think a lot of times it was probably a hindrance to my interviewing technique, if you will. I was one to, I never wanted to, I, I gave people a wide pass. If, you know, I, I didn't enjoy when somebody would trip up on their words or if they would go against something they had just said, I'm never big on, I gotcha. You know, I was never, I wasn't good at facilitating clickbait. And I, I tended to give people a really wide berth. Uh, what, and sometimes, and, and not by design, I just was aware of that after a little while. I was like, 
oh, if I feel somebody getting out in the weeds a little bit, I don't push on the gas. I try to pull them out of it, you know, just because I had always been on the other side, I guess. And I definitely tried to, to hit people with questions they weren't expecting or didn't normally get. I mean, when I'm talking to a defensive back in the NFL, I can't talk to him about the coverages. I don't know. I, I watch. I, I never played football. And I probably was a little too honest with myself about how little I actually know about the ins and outs of football. Uh, you know, I watch it like a fan. I, I probably know more than some people, but anybody that played high school football to this day knows more about how football works than I do. And I could never fake it that well. So I was always much happier to talk to a football player about the records he grew up listening to and who his favorite player as a kid was. I, I always approached everything from a more like, we're just hanging out and shooting the shit. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to drill into locker room politics or, you know, coaching decisions. I leave that to other, like the quote unquote real sports guys. You, you, you said something that I think that we are going to be heavily focused on this show, just almost every episode and almost anybody we talk to. And you said, you're not really big on the clickbait stuff. And it, you know, there's an embrace debate model in sports talk radio and television that is sort of prolif- proliferating across all platforms. Mm-hmm. Some of that is corporate, you know, profit as the model. Some of that is users attention spans are down to nothing and it sort of generates argument and that's the easiest way to generate argument i am of the belief that there will that there is some level of pushback on that that people actually do want thoughtful conversational intelligent you know sports talk again that it doesn't have to be yelling do do you think that there will be a pushback on the broadest set dumb it down to a simplest argument yell about it and then repeat you know, rinse and repeat every segment. Do you think that there will be a pushback from sports fans on that? I I think there has to be just because everything is cyclical. You know, there's going to be, there's always going to be a space for argumentative, you know, take two sides. I mean, a lot of shows, as you guys know, you, you look at a subject matter and one guy says, well, I'll go this way and you go that way. And it's just, it's professional debate. It's debate by numbers. You know, um, I was, I, I never, I could never stand doing that on, on my show. You know, my cousin, Jeffrey, my co-host and I, we disagreed on things all the time. So we didn't have to invent disagreements. But then we also would have segments where we'd get to the commercial break and my producer would go, you know, you guys just agreed with each other for 12 straight minutes. <laughs> I would say, well, it was real. You know, I, I wasn't very good at that. I think that, uh, but anyway, to get back to your question, yeah, I think there will definitely be some, some blowback. I mean, it, it's so amazing Obviously, the last four years, maybe the last actually five or six, but specifically, but certainly the last four, the intersection of sports and politics and then having this year of all years to not have sports for so long. You know, a lot of the worst habits of people that talk politics just completely infiltrated sports talk. And the idea that if you aren't adrenalized, it's not captivating. Like you said, it's short attention span theater or if it's there's got to be adrenaline and you've got to act like there's real stakes. I think most of the people on sports talk who are arguing about this stuff couldn't possibly care less. They, they literally are just looking for ratings. And if that's your job and if that's the way you want to go about it, okay, right on. It's completely boring to me. I'd much rather, I'd much rather feel a, an un, uh, like, like an unfinished product, if you will, a, an opinion that is evolving in real time without a clear destination than somebody who's just hammering home the same points and thinks that because they're so damn sure of how they feel that they've won the argument. That's I, I, I'm never interested in people like that off the mic. I don't know why people are interested in hearing people on mic like that. 
but then again, I am, you know, I'm a musician. I prefer, <laughs> I, I, I know I don't have the uh, straight down the middle approach to a lot of things in life, but I'm, I'm also a sports fan who's traveled all over the world. And I know sports fans all over the world. And, you know, there's a, I think there was a, uh, I think there are way more people that are a little bit loose around the edges that like sports than a lot of the screaming, yelling, hardcore, for lack of a better word, conservative mentality, conservative minded sports people would have you believe. I don't mean that in, I don't mean that in a political term. I don't mean conservative and liberal. I mean, but just, you know, sports guys aren't all trying to, you know, drink the most beer and, and bang the hottest cheerleader. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot more compl- complicated than that and a lot more nuanced and a lot more interesting. Steve, have you seen this, uh, this documentary series that Showtime just put out uh, on the Comedy Store? I know what it is. I haven't seen it yet. So, so there's a fascinating thread in about the fourth episode of it because not, not only is it talking about the store and like all the people in it, and there's some great interviews with like Letterman and Leno and, and, and some just huge names in, in comedy you know, from the 70s and today, but, but there's a fascinating look at kind of how the development deals for for comedians have gone and used to be in the seventies, you were, you were trying to get the sitcom or you were trying to get the hosting gig or you were trying Mm -hmm. to get something out of it. And now every, every comedian has a podcast and there's some of the biggest sort of pieces out there and you start talking, they start talking about why they did it. And the biggest reason why was creative freedom and kind of finding the audience. And I'm struck. Why have you never had a podcast? The Steve Gorman sports (laughs) podcast would be fascinating because you don't have to, you, you'd be liberated from, from a lot of the strictures that, that terrestrial radio drives people nuts with. Well, got, you know, you're going to have to kill your research staff because I did have a podcast back in what? the year 2009 and 2010. Steve Gorman Sports was in fact a podcast and it did fairly well. And then I remember in 2010 thinking, man, I think we kind of missed the podcast boat because that's just how <laughs> completely confused I was. But uh, yeah, I started doing radio in Nashville in 2008, I think. Maybe it was even 2007, just on Sunday nights. And then in 9 and 10, I was on the road with the Black Crows so much that I, I, you know, I wasn't able to continue with any regularity on radio. And so I started doing a podcast back then. And it was on iTunes and we would, you know, every now and again, it was like top 20 most downloaded sports podcasts of the day. I never promoted it on any level anywhere, you know, but the original Steve Gorman Sports Facebook page, it still exists, but it originally was to promote our podcast back then. Oh, that's Um, fascinating. And it was, it was me and uh, Brandon Gannett's who went on to produce the radio show. And then I have a buddy in Boston named Mitch Bloom. And it was the three of us that we would record these podcasts together and put them up and they were, you know, anywhere from 45, some of them were an hour long, but it was, it was sports and records and movies. It was kind of all over the place. And, um, you know, and it was a lot of fun. And I, I have looked back many times over the last five, six, seven years and gone, man, if we had just stayed with that, <laughs> you know, that might've been a way forward. But, but the truth is the radio thing in 2011, when I started doing uh, radio five days a week, I, I, you know, I loved it. I was having a great time. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I got the Fox Sports Radio call. And it was kind of like, all right, I, that podcast is in the rear view, man. I got an actual gig I'm doing now. A couple of things. First of all, I think there's some doors that are open for you, uh, Mr. Gorman, if, you, <laughs> if you'd like. Um, I, I have a couple of follow-ups to things that you said that I find really interesting that you know I personally have experienced. Number one, you said you, you, you used sort of the, the, 
the phrase losing the love of the sports because of all the nine hours a day and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because I've always wanted to avoid, like I'm a huge music fan. I know Cavendish is a huge music fan. And, and I've sort of always, I started at a rock and roll station before I transitioned to a sports talk station. And I am sort of grateful that I never have covered music because I still have that like childhood, innocent love and passion for really kick-ass music. And I still love going to shows with my, my four-year-old daughter and you know all that stuff. But I, I'm with you on the sports. I don't have the highs or the lows anymore about even my favorite teams. Like I can't watch the game with my dad sometimes because I, because I like, I don't get as excited or as upset as he does watching the game. Did you ever feel that way either in your music career? And then maybe what's your solution? Because obviously your solution was, I'm not going to do this anymore with sports, but did you ever feel that way with music? And then what would be your advice to people like me, for example, who are, you know, I've lost all the, you know, the highs and the lows of, of my favorite sports teams because I've worked in the business. Yeah, with music for sure. Um, and it was, you know, I was in a band that that even at our greatest moments, it was always a very difficult band to be in. Um, and there was an awful lot of a uh, lot, lot of moments where it with where in being inside the Black Crows was very limiting as far as personal expression goes. And it's funny, people are amazed to, if, if, if they hear that, like it's a rock band, everybody can say and do what they want. Um, I started a band with a couple guys that were in another life were probably fraternity presidents. You know what I mean? They, they like things to be done a certain way. <laughs> and, uh, and it flew counterintuitive to my complete, my approach to anything in life. And it was always butting heads. And I let a lot of the internal uh, mechanisms of the Black Crows get in my way of just an unadulterated joy of music. You know, I got to the point where my refuge was to get away from music, you know, on a day off on tour, I just looked to see who was playing what ball game in town that day, you know, sports became something really important just to clear my head. You know, I started golfing when I got on tour after a while, cause I thought, well, where can I go where I'm not going to see anybody in my band? Oh, a golf course. Yes. That'll be great. You know, and, <laughs> you know, um, and, and that's, but that's on, you know, some of that's on me for allowing that stuff to get in the way, but then there's also just the simple, it's, it's not unusual to see somebody eight, nine, 10 years into a career on a record label where, you know, when you see the sausage being made, you're like, I, I just, I just have a hard time getting as excited about new music. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I definitely had periods of time like that right now, you know, I'm 55 years old. And if I hear a new record that I like, I love it. I can love music right now in the way I did when I was 15. You know, I can, I, uh, hell, I, I saw Jack White on Saturday Night Live a couple weeks ago and I, I texted him afterwards and I said, you make me want to quit school and join a band, you know, like jerk, <laughs> like, don't get me all excited about rock and roll again. I'm trying to relax over here. Um, so I mean, that, that, that's all, I, I don't think anything I went through with that's that unusual. I think a lot of people, you know, it's, and it is like anything else. I mean, hell, every job I ever had in life, I thought about it before I got there and, um, you know, I worked at a record store in Atlanta called Wax and Facts, and I would go in there to buy used records for two years. And all I thought was, this would be the coolest job if I could just work here. And I used to look at those people behind the counter and think, I got to get a job here. And then I got a job there. And about three weeks in, I was like, it's just like any other job. <laughs> it's like, yeah, great. Every four hours, I get to pick the music that's out of the store. But if I was home unemployed, I'd pick all the music, you know. And it's like wherever you go, you can, you can get really kind of burnt on it real fast, you know. Um, but as far as sports goes, yeah, I got, 
Uh, I, I'm good now. I, I definitely took, I took the 2018 NFL season off. I was really happy. I, the show, we stopped the show right before the season started, September of 18. And I thought, I am so glad to just not pay attention to football for the next four months. And I really didn't. I barely even put the Titans on. I didn't miss much. But, um, you know, I just, I, 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 I hit that place where um, it, it did become a job. And I'm never one to complain about having a good job at all, but, but it started at least as a, can you believe they're letting me do this? You know, me and my, me and my cousin on a national radio show, just completely goofing around, making ourselves laugh, you know, four years in, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing way more research into stuff than I was uh, expecting to do. And I can't believe I know all of the rosters in the NFL. And I, I can't believe I know this much about stuff I never cared about before. So like, you know, it, and it was never my solo career. You know, I got that, I got that gig when I was uh, 49, you know, I wasn't just out of college with the, with this burning desire to be a sportscaster legend guy. I was, I was definitely coming in, you know, late into the party through the side door and it was great. And I really enjoyed it, but it, but I, I couldn't kid myself that I was uh as passionate about it by the end as I was five years earlier. You know, you've, you've talked a little bit about sort of the science of radio and how to exec- execute on that. Like you said, one, one of the termina- one of the phrases that radio executives will use to their hosts is literally play the hits. That's literally the phrase that they use sometimes oh, yeah. to talk to radio hosts, like meaning make sure you're not missing any of the biggest stories and make sure you're going back to the biggest story in your market with your audience. And I'm curious if you ever found that exercise to be similar to maybe laying out a, a set list where you know people are in the audience to hear the biggest songs and the most popular songs the Black Crows ever wrote. But at the same time, there's also the diehards out there that do want to go deeper, that do want to hear the B-side stuff or the deep cuts or whatever. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's that much different in radio. And, and I think that's maybe what a podcast does is it allows you to go yeah. listen to the B-side, for example, for, for 45 minutes. Did you ever find those two exercises to be similar? Yeah, it's funny you say that because when we had our podcast initially, we used to we would put a thing together called the set list. This is what we're going to talk about today. And we used a lot of that terminology in the early days of the radio show. Um, and if you know anything about the Black Crows, you know that for better or for worse, we rarely played all the hits people wanted. We would go off into a ditch by the third or fourth song of the night. We would often, you know, we we there were times in the Black Crows career, we opened shows with a song that no one in the crowd had ever heard with. First song of the night, hey, we just wrote this, you know, and it's like, okay, that made us feel good, but it certainly didn't help anybody who hired a babysitter and slapped down 40 bucks for a ticket to come and hear something brand new. You know, there's always those lines, any band has to walk, and we just went way over the line in every direction. So with the show, and I was never a huge fan of that. Um, I always thought we pushed that envelope a little too far, pushed that line, I should say, a little too far. Because I did think of it in terms of, well, there's a lot of people who are coming to see us. They're only going to see two concerts this year. They really want to enjoy the band. They want to hear what they what they love. It's possible to respect all those sides. Like you said, the diehards and the peripheral fans. You just got to put a little more thought into it than the members of the Black Crows were ever willing to do. In terms of the radio show, I understood the whole thing about playing the hits, but I never, you know, I was really happy when when I dawned on me that NASCAR was losing a lot of steam because I could never fake caring about NASCAR at all. I was like, <laughs> I don't care, man. I, I, we'll bring someone on. I'll just take this segment off. You guys can talk about that all day. 
And, and for that matter, you know, baseball, like I grew up an Orioles fan, an obsessive Orioles fan. But since I moved to Nashville in 2004, you know, when you when you don't live in a town with Major League Baseball, you got to look a little harder to keep up with it. You know, I lived in Atlanta and then New York and then L.A. before I moved here. And baseball was everywhere in those cities. You just heard about it. You talked about it. The minute I got to Nashville, it was like the major leagues just disappeared. And I found my and then and then, of course, the Orioles are barely playing major league level baseball year in and year out. So for a variety of reasons, I just lost my enthusiasm for the game of baseball. And I, we talked about it on my show only during the playoffs. It was just never anything I felt interested in pursuing. On the other side of that, I love soccer. And we started on Fox in 2014 and that year's world cup, man, that was most of my show for a month was the world cup. And I got, even from my greatest supporter at the network was like, Hey man, you're talking about too much soccer. And I was like, sorry, dude, I'm most passionate. It's this, or it's, you know, Red Sox Yankees. And I don't care. You know, we're talking world cup right now. I was, you know, so I guess to answer your question, I was, I, I always felt it was better to put on a show that you were actually passionate about. And it was very genuine enthusiasm than to pretend to care about the blue Jays and the, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Toronto series this weekend. I, I couldn't, I couldn't have cared less. So I just figured you might not care about, you know, this, uh, you know, the Argentina, you know, Bulgaria matchup, but I'm going to at least impress you with how excited about it I am. <laughs> you know, you'll at least appreciate my enthusiasm is the way I looked at it. Have you got a soccer team? Are you following anybody right now? Well, I, I mean, in the EPL, it's, it's always been Arsenal since before there was an EPL. My, my dad took a business trip to England when I was about 12, and he brought home an Arsenal scarf. And I saw that cannon, and I went, I am all in. I don't know even what town this club that Arsenal is in, but uh, so I just adopted them early on. But I've been watching, uh, you know, the, in the MLS, I'd never really had a team. Now I got one here. You know, I've been watching Nashville, and it's, it's really exciting. I think it's fantastic that they're in the postseason in their first year. But I have still never come around fully to the MLS only because all the other leagues are available too. And I've just always, you know, I've been such a fan of, of the Premier League for so long and then and, and also the Bundesliga. So when I have access to those games, I'm, I'm kind of the worst possible American soccer fan in that I haven't fully embraced the MLS. Although, but, but now, that, now that there's a team in the town I live in, yes, I'm, all, I'm on board. Well, there's so much good coverage. I mean, you can watch you know, now you can watch, you know, six or seven high def games in a weekend from either oh. the EPL or Bundesliga or, or whatever else. I mean, you can you know throw three other leagues in there. Listen, I, the 1978 World Cup, I remember so clearly uh, Argentina was the host nation. They won. They beat the Netherlands in the final 74 and 78. The Dutch national side lost to the host nation in the final, both with dubious referee calls late in the game. And I say all this because my soccer coach back then was a huge fan of the Dutch national side and the total football, the entire, the way that team changed the game in the seventies. Oddly enough, I had a coach in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, who was shoving that down all of our throats. And so from this little tiny school that was playing soccer in the late seventies, you still have all these Dutch national team fans out there. And every four years we'll all hook each other up. Hey man, just see the team this year. So in 1978, when, None of those games were televised. And I think that my local paper on probably the Wednesday after the Sunday final printed the final score, Argentina over the Netherlands. You know, that's how long it took to find out. If you had told me then that in my lifetime, all these international games would be on live on TV and I'd have my choice of games. I mean, that would have been more exciting to me than flying cars 
and uh, you know, you know, any sort of space travel, the fact that we can watch international soccer, I still, I tweet it at least once a season. The future is amazing. You know, like that's my, that's the thing I'm most excited about to this day. People don't forget, man, you're, you're, you're upset about some bad calls in the 1974 World Cup final. It's 2020. I love that. Hey man, Johan Cruyff, those, t- those Dutch teams, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, man, they, greatness without glory. It's such a shame. They should have had two World Cups and they got none. And, uh, you, you know, when you look at the greatest soccer nations of all time, you know, the Netherlands don't have a World Cup title and they absolutely, it's, it's, it's a real shame that, that, that they're not recognized for what they accomplished and how they truly revolutionized the game. Steve, let me let me shift here for just a second. What's your media diet like these days? What are you What are you reading right now? I'm right now. I'm not reading anything. I just got a book. John Sales is a filmmaker who, independent filmmaker, who made fantastic a, a lot of my favorite movies. And I just got hip to the fact that he's written a couple of books. And I just got one. My buddy recommended it. I don't even remember the title, but it just came in the mail, and it's about a thousand pages long. <laughs> and I'll feel dumb for not remembering it, but. Uh, but I just bought that. I just finished. Let me think about this. Hang on. Because I have a, I, you know, I'm, I'm like any reader these days. I have a pile of books that I have yet to get to. So I've been that way too. I mean, yeah. because of, you know, wave your hands around all this that's going on. I find myself reading more pulp. What do you, what do you, what are you reading kind of online or news wise or, or? Oh, I, I, you know, I, there's a handful of sites well, I, I spend more time listening to podcasts than anything else. I mean, I really do listen to a Smart wide guy. variety of podcasts. Smart. And let me just say this, not a paid endorsement. The, the Morning 440 is fantastic. I, I listen to that every day. It's really, really well done. That, um, clip, that clip's going to get played a lot. It's No, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's exactly what um, I, I would have hoped it would be. And, it, and I really appreciate that. Um, uh, thank you. But I, thank uh, you. I, Seriously. That, 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 yeah. I will be cut. We'll be we'll be cutting a new open for the show uh, this afternoon. So, I checked the Ringer. I checked the Atlantic. I checked Vox. I checked Slate. I've got a lot of you know. There's a, just on my Twitter feed. I follow a lot of sources where I'll click on a link. But um, I mean, that's where those come from. I don't I don't go to websites. I just scroll my most. I mean, my Twitter feed is all various, for the most part, news. You know, it's it's sources of information from a variety of uh angles and i'll just go through that in the morning and read three or four or five or nine articles and then get on my day all right same kind of media diet sort of thing what are you listening to right now anything you've heard in the last six months that you were just like wow that make that i i i loved this or this made me really happy to to kind of put my headphones on yeah i just got a well this will sound this is way too insider baseball my i have a friend named blue B-L-E-U. He's a singer-songwriter, made some great records. He just sent me a bunch of his work tapes. He goes, hey, th- this is the next record. I haven't recorded it yet. So I've been listening to that a lot. And so uh, I was going to say, yeah, the new Blue record, but I just realized it's not actually a record. Um, that, that's a, indie. That's indie right that, there. Steve. I'm telling you. Uh, Illiterate Light is my favorite band of the last five years. Uh, and I will go ahead and, and offer this disclaimer. My nephew is the singer in that band, but this is no nepotism whatsoever. I went from a guy offering them advice and steering them from afar to going, okay, I got nothing else to say. You guys are just great and good luck to you. And, you know, I, I was happy to introduce them to a few people, but they've taken them and they're on Atlantic records. I mean, they're, 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 they're big time. They were well on their way to, uh, 
uh, to lofty heights when everybody had to shut down in the world. Um, I'm trying to think there's something else, you know, I'm the worst at that because like people send me stuff all the time and I'll listen to something for a few days and I'll really dig it. But like, I just, I was just up in Baltimore. I, I drove up to Baltimore and back last week. So I had two good long road trips and I don't think I listened to a single piece of music that was less than 25 years old in 20 hours alone in the car. I just, I took advantage of the fact that I could just go back to the eighties for a couple of days and just blast through all of the, bands that made me want to be in a band what's funny about that and i have arguments with with my my sports buddies about sort of the modern era of rock and roll and and everything is sort of conglomerating around pop like you know country is now mainstream country is pop main, mainstream yeah. everything is just pop i i i have a, a tough time finding and it's funny because you said you've already used the name jack white on the show and i would argue outside of maybe dave grohl there's not many sort of guys men or women who are these uber superstar rock star front men, like we used to have in that time you're talking about right the 60s mm-hmm. 70s and 80s yeah where where that was the person to be now it's this you know you know you need bedazzled jeans and a, and a torn up cowboy hat to be that I, i'm curious do you think that there is some sort of underground shift or change that that will sort of reinvigorate the, the rock and roll model, is it, because I think, I don't think sports media is too much different than this, frankly. I think the big market forces at play, like you said, learning how the sausage is made, it, it almost eliminates all of that sort of, that personality well, to become the thing that attracts people to your band or your sports talk show. Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, there's, there's always been great rock and roll music and there is today. The difference is, What's changed is how easy it is to find, you know, how much work you have to do to go find a great band um, and how anybody, you know, there's a million elements that have led us to where we are. You know, record companies used to be privately owned uh, businesses. You know, once they all became publicly owned, the idea that you would nurture a career and boost a career, you know, even the, the Black Crows, like when we got a record deal in 1989, there was still a concept of, well, you want the first record to just you just want your foot in the door on your first record. Then you want the second record to grow and they're going to give you at least three times to build to a certain place before they cut you loose. And that we got in at the tail end of that sort of thinking. Now it's all about you front load a career. The debut album has to make a splash or people are just going to move on from you. And that does, that's how that's the corporate mindset behind careers, but it does water down to the experience for fans. You know, there's a lot of great bands that aren't, given the time to develop an actual following, an actual fan base. Um, And there's ways around that. There's also, you know, obviously the DIY, like my nephew, his band is on Atlantic Records. That's as big as it gets, right? But they spent five years, just the two of them in a Subaru driving around playing. The first time I saw them play the basement, there were seven people there. And the next time I saw them play the basement, there was three people there. You know what I mean? It was like, (laughs) it's like, oh, hey, all right, cool. You know, and then, and then, it slowly built from there. And then last year they're playing the basement East and it's packed, but it was five years of really hard work. Um, and a lot of it comes down to our is does somebody want to make that commitment? You know what I mean? Like, you know, when I was 17 years old, the idea that you could sit in your house and make a record was that, you know, that, that you might as well have talked about space travel, you know, intergalactic travel. Um, if you're 17 years old right now, you can go make music that sounds like it was made in a recording studio. You can do it right on your laptop with a couple of microphones. And, you know, I, I just feel like the, 
the medium, I mean, how things are produced has been, has changed so much too. On every level, it's just a different landscape for a kid. If you grow up now, rock music, pop, you know, whatever music you're listening to, it just doesn't, even if it's popular, even if it's like the, the bro country stuff or pop country stuff, it doesn't have nearly as much a corner of the market share of what's happening in culture as music did when I was a kid. You know, in the late 70s and early 80s when I was in high school, you know, rock music was ubiquitous. It was everything. It was how you identified yourself. It was, you know, that guy, oh, that guy likes Journey. Eh. You know, I, I was in a Devo, you know what I mean? Whatever. You, it was a huge piece of that. And now it, I just don't think that it is ever good. I don't think it's ever going to recapture that because there's just too many other options out there. But, you know, for the people that want to find great music, it's all still there. For the people that want to make great music, you just got to go do it. Um, but like you said, it's a different world. The carrot is not the same across the room, you know, as it used to be. Like you said, the, the coolest guy back in the day was, was the guy in the rock band. And the coolest guy right now is the guy inventing an app for the rock band to put their music on. It's <laughs> a valid point. Along the lines of what, what Steve was asking you is, do you, do you have like Twitter social media rules? Like, do you, do you have like some like gui personal guidelines that, that you like? Yeah. To and I, I don't, I don't follow them, but I have some. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so what are they and, and how do you consume social media? I, well, I, I, I'm on Twitter a good bit, um, mostly just because I'm looking for things to read or I'm looking for news. It's the best way to get instant news. Um, and I engage with people mostly about politics. And I, I have no problem teeing off on somebody because it's Twitter. And, and I do think it's like there's a few things to that. I, I don't ever want there to be a time when someone says, I wonder what Steve thought about X, Y or Z. It's like, no, I'll tell you. Here it is. <laughs> just just make no mistake about that. My sense of humor is very dry. It can be very caustic at times. I definitely have heard from people who say, man, you are so angry on Twitter. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's no different than arguing with somebody in the room. I'm not actually going to be upset from a differing opinion. I'm just, again, I, I, I'm from an Irish Catholic family and I'm the youngest of eight kids. It's like, man, you got to, you got to give back what you got to dish it out. If you want to, I just kind of grew up with that. If you, the funniest, most sarcastic response is the winner. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, there are times when I've, I've seen things where I could be like, I will find, I will feel myself getting like, actually like pissed off about like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And then I go, okay, stop, just go away. This doesn't even matter. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not immune to it. It doesn't happen very often, but I can't say it's never happened. But but like, I, I love nothing more than people when I was doing Steve Gorman sports and you know, the people that get on there to just troll you and tell you how much your show sucks. I thought that was hilarious. I really did. I would retweet every bad, every time someone ripped me, I just retweeted it. I was like, this is great. Um, you <laughs> know, like bathe, I, bathe in the sewers, Steve. Yeah. You, you, you are, you dislike me so much. You're going to log into Twitter to tell me that's fantastic. You know, cause <laughs> And some of that does go back to what, what you asked earlier about, Steve, like being the guy who suddenly is on the other side of that equation, you know, be, not being the subject of the, the interview or whatever, but being the guy who's doing the interview. I was always fascinated by that. Like I did, I did take it a little, it took me a while to, I, now that I'm the social media thing, there were some things early on where I was like, I, 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 I kind of thought like, <coughs> Well, I was aware of those different lines. Like I never hesitated to voice my opinion at, at all when someone's interviewing me as Steve Gorman of the Black Crows. 
you ask me a question, I will give you an honest answer. I couldn't possibly care less about the ramifications of me telling you what I think. And then when I found myself doing a national radio show, suddenly I felt a little different about that. I was like, wait a minute, I'm, am I actually representing like my, my, my company? <laughs> am I representing something beyond just me? Where are the lines there? It was a little different. Um, I think I ended up in the same place, but I, I found myself walking on, uh, I, I saw it as kind of being thin ice there a little bit. You know, I kept thinking I'm going to get yelled at if I say something weird or if I respond offhand. It never happened, but I think I was just more aware of the fact that I wasn't suddenly speaking just for myself when I'm on a network, you know, on a major media network. It's like, huh, this is different. For those of you calling up Twitter on your phones right now, he is at SGS Fox. Hey, let me ask you guys this. <laughs> you, yes, you should change it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I lose the blue check. I mean, people are like, oh, you'll lose your blue check. I'm like, who cares? I don't care. Should well, I care? In, in, the, in the interest of full artistic freedom and creativity, I think you should do whatever the fuck you want. Like, well, that, that's what I'm saying. I've, I've just had people express to me that it would be a tragedy. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't even notice when I got the blue check. Why do you'll, I care you'll always that? be verified in our book, Steve. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's all that matters, then <laughs> there is a Steve Gorman who hasn't tweeted since 2009. And I'm like, come on, dude, give up the name for crying out loud. Um, I would like to ask a, a, another very selfish question. H how does it feel to be the first and only guest to appear on any 440 sports podcast who also wrote and is a part of the music on that podcast? Uh, well, you know, feel great? It's, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty much a top shelf experience right now. <laughs> I don't, it's a bummer. We're going to end this call and then it's just going to be all downhill from here. Uh, by the way, for those that do not know, of course, the music on this show on Lamestream Sports is, of course, from Trigger Hippie Born to be Blue. It's the song. So go check it out. No free shouts. Hey, man, I, I, I think it's a great I think it's a perfect per, no place I'd rather have the song. Uh, hey, I did want to ask you really quickly while you're here and because I can ask the question. Uh, so you wrote a memoir last year, uh, Hard to Handle the Life and Death of the Black Crows, a mm -hmm. memoir. Uh, yeah. What was the, what was it like writing the book? I mean, you had you had a co-author that you were working with. Uh, I think it was Steve Hayden. Hayden, yep. Steve, uh, and what was it? What was it like doing the doing the book? And was it liberating? Was it triggering? Was it? I mean, you, you left. I don't think you you left anything kind of in the in the tank. Uh, um, it, well, it was all. It was. Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I already, I had already sort of processed, you know, the story of the band. I, I didn't start writing the book until I felt settled with where everything ended up, you know, and, and I couldn't have written a book if I were still wondering about what if this and what if that, and if I weren't sure exactly of how I felt and thought about everything, that wouldn't have been a, an appropriate time to write a book. I think that would have been it would have it just just for a million reasons. I, I was at a place where I realized like, oh, that's okay. That's been a few years now. And it makes perfect sense to me the way it happened. It made perfect sense to me the way it ended. It just all fit, you know, and I could see it. Um, and I had spent years dealing with uh, life in that band and then out of the band. And I kind of, like I said, I knew the story. So I didn't find any, there were no real surprises when I wrote the book. I didn't have these great moments of catharsis, but only because I'd already gone through all that. I'd already, you know, I'd already been in, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been in therapy, both self-guided and with a therapist. I, 
been talking about this with my wife for 30 years and my family for 30 years. I mean, the whole time I was in the Black Crows, I was, it, oh, there were there were a lot of times in the life of that band where it felt like every day was just a matter of survival, you know, and then get your footing back. And then it felt like, hey, it's fun to be in a rock band again. And then you go right back to the other thing. It was a real whiplash sort of a whirling dervish experience for, you know, almost 30 years. But I got really good at making sense of it in real time, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I learned how to navigate and live in that in that sort of cacophonous existence. So to put it all down, it was it. There were a few moments where it was, you know, I would get a. There, there were only a couple things in the book I'd never really fully discussed with other people. Like there was a story about our bass player Sven, and when I actually wrote that, it like wore me out. It really broke my heart. Just to relive a tough situation in his life really upset me. Um, the very ending of the book, when I wrote that, I, I hadn't. I wrote the book in chronological order, with the exception of the epilogue like I wrote the, the final little chapter I wrote probably midway through the process I and it was like a scene from a bad movie where I literally popped awake at 3 a.m and I was like I got the ending I know how the book's gonna end and then I said I pulled out my laptop and I wrote it really fast and and then I fell back asleep and when I read it the next morning it actually made me cry and I think it was more just a relief of I know how to finish the book now more than I'm so sad the black crows are gone. You know what I mean? It was a little bit of both, but really it was just this, oh, because I, I found myself floundering a little bit because I as soon as I knew how it was ending, it just made the rest of it that much easier, if that makes sense. But did, um did you hear but, from anybody in that world after after I've heard from I've heard from everybody except the Robinson brothers. Anybody not named Robinson, yes, I definitely heard from. Um from the rest of the band, from management, from the crew, from people at record companies. I mean, I've heard from dozens of people and uh, all very appreciative. And, and a lot of people telling me that I gave them closure, which was not a word I expected to hear necessarily. But I was very, uh, very pleasantly surprised by how moved and appreciative people were by the book. Well, that is what makes you so interesting, Steve, is you've kind of done it all and you've done radio, you've done, you're an author, you've done the music thing, you've done the podcast, you've done local radio, national radio. You've kind of ha had an experience that, that uh, very few people have had to experience. And I guess my last question to wrap up here would just be sort of wh where do you think we are headed as a collective group of sports fans following the media and interacting with the media? Wh where do you have any guess? You know, you talk about intergalactic travel a few times today on the show. Where, where, where do you think we are in ten years consuming sports media? How, how does it look to you? And and I assume you're still a sports fan in ten years. I'm still a sports fan in ten years. I think that um, I, I just know by my own habits, and I've I've always been a bit of a luddite. I mean, I'm I'm the never the first guy to embrace the new technology or the hot new thing. You know, by my my general you know, when everyone's freaking out about, oh my God, this new show is amazing. I almost am like reticent to watch it. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, I kind of have to be sold on things before I'll jump right in. And I think that, but, but then I say that and like, I, you know, I, I curate every minute of my day. I'm not just in listening to the radio anymore. I, I want to be in control of whatever's on when I'm in my car every second. Um, I think that the sports media thing, I haven't really thought about it other than, you know, I remember a few years ago, was it Comcast or somebody, some TV service had the thing where if you're watching a hockey game, you can choose which camera angle you're going to put on. You know, they have like nine different 
cameras and you can literally direct your own viewing of, a, of, an, of an NHL game. That technology's out there. Um, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, uh, it, it hasn't been introduced to the masses that I'm aware of. But I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if down the road, you know, or, or another great example is March Madness. You know, you have the three different channels during the final four where you can listen to the, the neutral commentators or you listen to the Kentucky guys or the Duke guys. You know what I mean? Like you can get the local, you can get the broadcasters who are slanted towards one team or the other. And I, I, I'm amazed that that hasn't become more where, where they're not tailoring it to every single person even more so. It seems like the, you know, the, the, the world of, uh, you know, the, I, which I, and I don't think that's a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I like the shared experience. I'm all for those moments. Um, somebody asked me something about, you know, do you remember the final episode of MASH? You know, and I was like, yeah, I was a senior in high school and the world stopped for two hours and something like 140 million people watched it. You know, we don't get those anymore. There aren't these things that sort of everybody experiences all at once. I guess there's going to be a day like that tomorrow, but even that won't be in America shared or experienced the same way. And nobody's going to trust a single thing they hear. And so it's going to be a complete shit show. There may be but, crying um, at the end of the episode. Though. <laughs> what's that? There may be crying at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, there, there very well may be. But, um, you know, I think I, I, I almost feel like in, in 10 years, it'll be I, like my son's 20 years old. And, you know, obviously sports fanatic and, and we've watched our whole lives, but like he can't, he and his friends, I, I don't know what they would do without the red zone channel, you know, cause they're all into fantasy football. And it's like the, when the Titans are on, we're watching the Titans, but if they're not playing, it's red zone. He would no sooner watch Packers versus Vikings, you know, what then, I mean, he'd rather just go cut the grass than watch one football game. <laughs> um. So I, I don't know. I think that I think in the future there's just going to be a series of of ways to receive. I, 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 well, I, you know, I don't actually have an answer. I just think that it's going to continue to be more and more specified to tailor it to anybody's individual, you know, preferences. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if you know professional athletes or if if they will have trade by you know vote in trades available in the future just to keep people focused. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm happy that I don't have to really think about it in terms of that. You know, I can still go. I know this, that the, the day will come when we can all travel again. And I will one day again be in London and I will go see an Arsenal match and I will feel good about that. And I will, I will just sing and be in a, you know, there'll be 40 or 50,000 people. And I'll never understand how they know when to sing the song all together in unison, but I'll jump right in with them and, that's an experience you can't replicate on TV and you can't, you can't explain it to somebody. You just have to be there. And that's one of the few left. And I look forward to that again. Total user control. That is where we're going. Steve Gorman, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it here on Lamestream. Pleasure, gentlemen. Special thanks to Steve Gorman for joining us here on Lamestream. Just absolutely love talking to the guy. Not only is he interesting, super talented, incredibly intelligent, very introspective. I think if you listen to him talk about the book, especially Steve, that that he, you know, the 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 processes with which he goes through, he's very thoughtful about everything. Incredibly intelligent. I, I have a few things I'd like to throw out at you just b- before we kind of get into our ratings and recs coming up in just a few minutes. Hit but, me. Uh, a couple of the things because I I. I 
I do really share a lot of his sentiment about the business. And it's why I believe so much in podcasts and sort of the intimate nature of, of going deeper. And some of that stuff is one of the things that really struck me is he, he talked about, I like listening to an unfinished product, which has sort of like an indie rock, raw garage band vibe to it. He says, I like listening to an unfinished product that the opinion is evolving in real time instead of people hammering home the same points over and over again. I find that to be really interesting because the art of conversation is disappearing and to acknowledge in real time that you are thinking through something and maybe learning something and maybe willing to think outside of your own framework of perspective, I think is really important, but also totally lost in the sports media world right now. Sports media, and particularly radio, is built around such a format and it's built around such a structure for audience retention, for a lot of other stuff that we've talked about on the show that when you're when you're washing guys like Gorman out of that industry i think it i think it's a, a, a an implicit criticism of it because you're not what you're not having is conversations and that's what gorman wants to have is a conversation where you can where you can talk and you can you can let your mind be changed or you can let an opinion evolve and when it doesn't do that it, i mean you know we've got a couple of TVs on in, in you know in here in your studio and there's some of the kind of embrace debate stuff going on right behind us. One is sports and one is news. <laughs> <laughs> and and the the thing that always strikes me about those shows is that it really is you're just like lining up army men against each other. You're you're not really you're not really kind of engaging in a debate. You're just you're just throwing different yeah. sort of pieces up there. I, I love a couple of phrases here to piggyback what you're saying. He he used the phrase debate by numbers, which I think exactly. is a, a great phrase because it does it, it shows you how confining the exercise can be uh, short attention span theater. Another Gormanism <laughs> from this episode that I love and I'm going to steal and I'm going to use all the time now. Y you know, he, even when he talked about his interview technique, he, he wasn't trying to, you know, get you. He wanted to be, you know, laid back, shooting the shit kind of thing, which I think, you know, the goal of a great interviewer is to get someone to relax, to just be themselves. That's sort of the goal. And there's not a lot of space for that when you get eight minutes with the head coach of a football team and, you know, you're going to ask him a question about the quarterback and he's going to say, well, all three of them took took reps in practice. All right. You know, like that's it doesn't there's not space for that anymore. No, there's not. And, and, and particularly not, you know, particularly not in terrestrial radio, particularly not in TV. There's just it's been too weaponized for certain attention spans. Yeah. Lastly, here for me, in one of the things that he said about taking the football season off, he got done with sports media after being in it so deeply, and then all these things kind of, like you said, washed him out. But he took that whole fall off of 2018, and I will, on a per very personal note, when I got laid off in February and they canceled our show, first of all, my kid's daycare was hit by a tornado and the pandemic was about to happen. <laughs> so there was a lot of things that forced me to stay home to take care of my children, which if the worst thing that happened to me during the pandemic is I spent a lot of time with my kids... I'm really not in a place to complain. But what I will say, I did not miss the day-to-day -day preparation of a four-hour radio show at all. The grind of having to make sure I had enough stuff to fill the next day, having to watch Preds games every single night, having to watch, you know, that whole thing that he's talking about where he just didn't watch football for 2018, I did not watch it. Now, there weren't sports to watch, but when they canceled the NCAA tournament, I lost some jobs, I lost some work, I lost some revenue. But I'm not going to lie, I, don't, I, I was not sad to be devoid of sports for a few months. It went a lo little longer than I would have hoped, but it, I was not sad to take three or four months off from sports altogether. Well, and, and when you're watching those Preds games, too, when you've got a show the next day, you're watching 
with things in mind that I can talk about as opposed to just sort of enjoying the game and sort of reacting to the game. It, it can be really it can be a really frustrating way to, to watch sports. There will be a whole other episode, Steve, where we talk about what it is like to watch a game with your family when you are in the business. <laughs> because my, they, I had some bad, bad afternoons with my dad. <laughs> but dude, it's pass interference. Shut up. <laughs> it, it, there's some bad ones there. So, so, so we're, we're, we're good now, though. One thing, one thing I want to circle back to is Gorman is a musician who's a smart guy who made a transition into, into sports media. I mean, you worked with somebody else who did the, almost the exact same path uh, in Jason Fitz. Do you see similarities between the guys? Uh, it's, it's actually uncanny how identical their paths were. Their music, very differently. You know, classically trained Juilliard, you know, violinist versus uh, raggedy rock star, you know, growing up in the record shop. It's very different. But their sports media careers were almost, it's uncanny how identical they were. They both sort of started podcasts out of their love of sports. You know, Jason Fitz was doing his show, uh, a podcast about the NFL, and it turned into a show, you know, it turned into a, a, a career on SiriusXM, which then became a local radio show with me here in Nashville, which then he be, he parlayed into the ESPN national gig, which is almost identical to what Steve Gorman did. Started a sports podcast after a rock and roll career, turned it into local radio, and then turned it into network national syndication. And their careers are very, very, very similar. Now, they, they are different people, whereas Jason Fitz, he is exceptional at the performative aspect of sports talk radio. It's why he's so good on Twitter Live and Facebook Live and why he's so good on camera. Like I've he is you can only have that Steve if you have played the fiddle. He would have a fiddle solo in the middle of a, a song in front of 90,000 people with only a spotlight on him at the at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> you you can only have that level of comfort in those settings when you've done that. And they both have that. Steve Gorman can't stand it. He, he's he's clearly the opposite from that type of he can't he doesn't like doing any of that stuff. The thing that, the thing I find interesting about Fitz is you, the performative part is, is, is you're exactly right. I, I, if you put Gorman on a snap a Snapchat version of an ESPN show, which is some of what Fitz has done. I mean, Fitz is like really fucking good at that. Yes, he's he's so good at it. And it's the key that makes it good is it's authentic. Yeah, it's who he is. That's that's how he acts normally. He's just sort of a the, the facial gestures and the hand motions. Yeah. It's very genuine. It's who he is. He's very flamboyant as a person. He will run up to people and just hug you. Like he's just that type <laughs> of person. Whereas Gorman is, you know, he's just like you know, I've been sitting at home with a pandemic beard and I'm just kind of hanging out. Like he's just they're just different guys. Yeah. So ratings and recs. For, of course, this week where we tell you the top five highest rated shows in the market for the past week, of course, of cur courtesy of Mark Binda of News Channel 5. All right. Top five shows in the market this week. Number one, of course, the Titans and Bengals. 24.6 uh, rating on Sunday. You had the Saints and Bears, number two, a 12.3. The Falcons and Panthers was a Thursday night game. That was on 11.1. Uh, the Cowboys and Eagles was a 10.8. That was on Sunday night primetime. A little surprised that the Cowboys-Eagles in a primetime yeah, slot. Yeah, so I'm going to come back to that. So, okay. so, the, so the fifth place one is, is a big drop-off. It's the Rams-Bears uh, Rams game from the Monday night before. It got a 7.9. But, but that I always find it interesting when a Thursday night game picks up a bigger audience than, than the Sunday night prime game. And I, I think that shows 
a lot. Uh, well, it shows that a the NFC East sucks and nobody wants to watch it. <laughs> but but b I find that surprising with the Cowboys though. Well, but but I think there's fatigue, particularly with with the NFC East and how much we get served it. Uh, okay, in, I can see in, that in the rest of America. I mean. The, the Giants were on, uh, were on in a primetime game here this week, and and a, and a, a half dozen people I knew normally tune in for these sort of things. Te- we were texting back and forth, and you know somebody somebody was just like, you know, Christ, if I never see the Giants again, it'll be too soon. I needed Tom Brady to score at least like eleven points that night. <laughs> Don't ask me why. For he did <laughs> for mon- monetary purposes. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> And bragging rights, too. And, uh, sure, for bragging rights. So, I, I don't know. I, I just think there's NFC East fatigue. I, I don't sure, want, that's an interesting theory. I don't want to, I don't want to see them anymore. And when I think it's interesting, when you see the, when, when NBC flexes the, the second half of the season here, I, I think we're, we're not going to see the Cowboys again, hopefully. We're, we're not going to see the Eagles again. Where they're not going to have to try to like make us care about which team is going to make it to two and five to take a share of the <laughs> NFC East lead. That that is true. Uh, I did some I did some digging though because we asked last week about Nashville SC and how they're doing. Uh, again, they've already clinched a playoff spot, and then we get a home, probably a home playoff match in Nashville, which is awesome. But I did some digging on the ratings, Steve. Uh, the Saturday night match. This would have been what two two Saturdays this ago. This Halloween. Last, Halloween. Yeah. Which is not a good TV night, I would guess. No, I, although I mean, yeah, maybe not this year. Maybe not this year. Zero point seven rating and a one share. That doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it was the highest rated show on my TV thirty all day on Saturday. So it was the highest rated show on that channel. Still, obviously, you're talking about you're talking about six, seven thousand people watching that show, roughly. Households. House, sorry, households watching that. Okay, that's a building That's a building block starting point there, I guess, but still a number that you want to see come up if you're a soccer fan. Not bad if you're, uh, not bad if you're, you know, just, just kind of just starting out. Uh, the, the thing, uh, the thing I'm always find interesting, particularly in the, in these, in these local sports broadcast uh, situations, you know, where do you put your rights? Do you get paid for them? Do you not get paid for them? The the my TV network is is a weird sort of amalgamation of things. It, it, it's the leftover stations from from when there were UPN and WB networks, and when they when they combined into a CW, what was left over, and there was a bunch of stations left over. This these are these are packaged in markets with Fox stations, uh, and it's it's mostly rerun programming. So you're never they're never going to have much of a uh, they're never going to have much of a of an audience outside of you know I mean it's it's weird like the Andy Griffith reruns. Uh, it'll be interesting to see on a final note here Tennessee back in action. Of course this weekend you got Florida Georgia this weekend that will be a huge game. Not only just you know Clemson Notre Dame might might register this weekend uh, as a big game even though it's not an SEC game. So we'll we'll see Notre Dame a huge brand Clemson big in the South. So we'll find out a couple of huge monumental football games. College we'll see if they can crack the the NFL wall if, as <laughs> as we'll call it here. Uh, recommendation you'll go first. So the so the first thing I mentioned this when we we're talking to Gorman. Showtime has a documentary series. It's five episodes on the Comedy Store, and it's great if you're if you're a, a comedy fan at all. You got to watch it. Uh, if you're but if you're kind of a media fan at all, you should really watch it just to look at the evolution of how we get comedy. I mean, they they spend a how lot they come up through the ranks. You yeah, mean? yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, a, a comic used to used to break like in one of these clubs, and then a lot of them, particularly from the '70s and '80s, will talk about getting the the Tonight Show slot with Carson, 
and and how that meant everything. And 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 if you did well on that, then maybe you got a development deal for a sitcom or a hosting gig or or or, or, or that that's how you like grew your career and made money. And that path has changed. It's changed radically to the point that a Netflix special and a podcast. Right. Netflix spe- uh, special and a podcast because yeah. because now comics want to be able to control their own path. And they don't want to have to get locked into a sitcom for several years doing something that is of of decline I mean, is is declining value in terms of you know the the media marketplace. It's just it's just sort of fascinating. And if you don't think you know comedy podcasts are huge, I mean, go look oh, at the huge. iTunes charts. I mean, Rogan's uh, podcast is number two on the iTunes charts this week, and. Is that really a comedy podcast? No, just... uh, well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I mean it's actually what it is is probably a crossbreed between the two biggest sectors, which is news and politics and comedy. Right, right. And and Rogan has you know Rogan breaks comics on his podcast now. Yeah. Uh, I, I listen to it sort of intermittently. My 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 tolerance for Rogan is minimal, but depends on the guest. Yeah, for de- me, it depends on the guest. I mean, it's a lot like Stern for me. Like Stern has Stern can have like really great conversations with people. But I can't listen to Stern all the time just to get to those conversations. I'm going a different direction this week. I'll, obviously, laughing would be very healthy for everybody. But I'm going to go a different direction this week. I'm going to. I have not yet done a music recommendation on the show, but this is a guy who uh, kind of cut from the Chris Stapleton cloth in that he wrote a ton of really big songs for a lot of really great artists and never really got his own shot, but has started to put out his own records. And his record that came out, I think, like a week or two, like maybe three weeks ago is has hit me in the time and place that I needed it to. <laughs> I, I I needed something to mellow me out, calm me down, relax me, let me just sort of unwind at the end of a stressful day because we're in the middle of the election cycle and, and pandemics and all this stuff. Uh, Brent Cobb's latest album, Keep Them On They Toes, uh, Providence Canyon is, is his last album, which is also exceptional, a little bit more rock and roll. This one is a little bit more acoustic, so you have to be in the mood for it. But it is the most calming, relaxing, for me, much-needed record of sort of where I'm at in my headspace. I, I, and if you need to relax and calm down and you like country, especially country guitar, country acoustic, singer-songwriter, Americana, whatever, if you're into that at all, check out Brent Cobb's latest album. It will totally put you at ease at the end of the night. It is it is what I listen to before I go to bed now. I love Sturgill's Bluegrass record. Not what I need to listen to at the end of the night. <laughs> it's fantastic. But but Brett Cobbs, keep them on their keep them on their toes. I totally recommend it. It is absolutely what I've needed in my life this last couple of weeks. Fantastic. I gotta pick it up. Yep, I hope you do. You should. It's great. Everybody should as well. Special thanks to Steve Gorman. I mean I've known that guy for fifteen years and gets more and more interesting by the day. You know, he, he's just awesome, dude, and we appreciate his time. I selfishly wish Gorman would go do a podcast. And if Steve, if you're listening to the end of this, I, I think I have a home for you, Steve. <laughs> I think a Gorman, the door is open. I mean, I think a Gorman podcast with so just him talking with with other people about some sports or about some music or about other stuff. I mean, would you wouldn't have to talk about cover two defenses? Just, no, there, there's a there's a there's a home for you, Steve Gorman. We, we've got one for you right here. Yeah. Anytime you want. <laughs> Shamelessly begging the on the 440 Sports Network. Yes. Uh, an hour and 10 minutes into the show. <laughs> uh, Steve Cavendish, where can people follow you? At Scavendish on Twitter. We need to start having people not named Steve on the show. It's making it very confusing. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Have a great week. Take a deep breath. Have a cocktail. 
<laughs> this has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>